Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again this week as we look into the Word of God here on the Searching the Scriptures radio program. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it's my privilege to have an open Bible before me today and to have the opportunity to look into the Word of God with you. Our desire is to increase your faith and encourage your faith in the Word of God. For after all, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. The only way to please God is to know what the Word of God says. That's the, that is the basis and the foundations of our faith. I've heard people talk about, well, you know, I just have faith. I just have faith. I don't know what the Bible says, but I'm just going to believe. That's false faith. Real faith has got to be in the facts. That's what brings honor and glory to God. You've got to know what God promised. You've got to know what God is like. You've got to know what God said in order to have faith. Uh, people walking around and, you know, closing their eyes and just saying, I'm just going to believe, I'm just going to believe. Well, what are you going to believe? You have to believe something that's printed in the Word of God in order to have biblical faith. And so here we want to put your faith back where it belongs because a man is saved by faith, but a man also lives by faith. And so we want you to know what this precious old book says. Now, last week we opened up a real interesting subject, and it's one that takes a lot of Scripture to get through, but uh, it's worth it. Ultimately, we want to exalt and magnify and glorify the wonderful, altogether lovely Lord Jesus Christ. And what we looked at last week, and I'm going to do a few minutes here of review to bring you back up to date so we can pick up the thought and continue our study today. But last week, we looked at the Old Testament saints and the setup that they were under. Uh, I was always taught in the Baptist churches I was raised in uh, by men that I loved and appreciated. But I would hear Sunday school teachers and preachers say, this Baptist cliche. This was the cliche. Well, you know, uh, in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the cross. That's how they were saved. And in the New Testament, we look back to the cross. Well, I understand why they said that, but that's not correct. He said, now, wait a minute, Brother Alltop. Uh, here you go. You're going to take us off down a crazy doctrinal avenue here. No, we're just going to believe the Bible. Have you ever wondered why it is if the Old Testament saints, as so many preachers quote the cliche that they were looking forward to the cross. Have you ever asked yourself a question? Why is it that the 12 men that Jesus Christ spent three and a half years with had no idea what the cross meant? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? In every gospel, I can show you where when Jesus Christ began to speak of his decease in Jerusalem, that the, the, the disciples that were following him were completely confused. They weren't looking forward to the cross. They were looking forward to the Messiah who was going to set up his government and his kingship right there on the earth and exalt them to a position of leadership and dominion and authority. That's exactly what was on their mind. And that's, by the way, why John the Baptist preached what he preached. But notice in Matthew 16, verse 21, the scripture says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Well, listen to me, brethren. When you read that, you know exactly what that's talking about. You say, oh, yes, Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again. I understand what he's talking about. But look what the apostle Peter says in verse 22. Are you reading with me? Matthew 16, 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Wait a minute. Why isn't Peter excited about Jesus dying and, raising, and rising from the dead? 
Why isn't he excited about that? Why isn't he saying, absolutely, we've been looking forward to this all these years? No, he began to rebuke the Lord for what he just said. Look over in Matthew chapter 17. Actually, I'm sorry, turn to, uh, turn not Matthew 17, I'm sorry, turn to uh, Mark chapter 9. That's what I'm looking for, Mark chapter 9. Quickly look at verse 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 9, the scripture says, As they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen. It's talking about Peter, James, and John, the big three of the twelve. Peter, James, and John was that inner circle of Jesus Christ's disciples. And here in Mark 9, they're coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says to them, Tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, look at it, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. Why, even in John chapter 20, after the resurrection, the morning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter and John race to that empty tomb, and they went in and they looked in, and the Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 8, that they, uh, when John saw, he believed. For as yet, verse 9, read it with me, John chapter 20, verse 9 for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Oh, it's not that the, the Old Testament didn't prophesy in a couple of places about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to me, to start saying that the Old Testament saints were saved by looking forward to the cross is to twist and rest and press on the scriptures uh, more than what they'll reveal. Because those disciples that trained with Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry for three and a half years were puzzled over and over and did not understand the rising from the dead. Listen to me. They believed by faith in the Old Testament what God revealed to them up to that time. That's what they believed, and they responded in faith to that. And we saw last week where Abraham, the friend of God, believed what the Lord told him about his seed, and when he believed that, God accounted it to him for righteousness. Genesis fifteen six, And yet in Genesis 25, 8, we saw that when Abraham died, that he was gathered, quote, to his people. And we saw then when Jesus Christ described where Abraham was at, he was in a place in the heart of the earth and could speak to the rich man who had died and gone to hell. Now, Abraham and the rest of the Old Testament saints were not in hell. They were in Abraham's bosom, a place that was separated from hell in the heart of the earth. It was separated by a great gulf. And they could not go over there, neither could anyone in hell go to where they were at. We saw last week how that Abraham's bosom was a place of quietness, a place of rest, a place called paradise in Luke 23, and a place of comfort according to Luke chapter 16. We closed last week by speaking of another Old Testament saint uh, who died. And when he was uh, called up, that was Samuel in 1 Samuel 28 King Saul went to the witch of Endor, and God surprised everybody, King Saul as well as the old witch, and called up Samuel, and he came up out of the earth. And you know what Samuel's question was for Saul? He says, why hast thou, quote, disquieted me? In other words, he was resting comfortably in a quiet, peaceful, comfortable place known as Abraham's bosom. And we saw then, you ask the question, okay, Brother Alltop, I see it in the Bible that the Old Testament saints did not go directly to heaven. But why is that? Well, we saw under the Old Testament law of Moses in Exodus chapter 34, 
verse 6 and 7, verses 6 and 7, we saw how that God of the Old Testament under the law was merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and, and full of goodness and truth and would forgive their sins. But the Bible says, I'm quoting Exodus 34, 7, that that by no means would clear the guilty. So now it's starting to make sense. The Old Testament, there was no blood sacrifice that could clear the guilty and clear those guilty of sin. Therefore, because the Old Testament saints had not been cleared, because their sins had not been taken away, they could not go into the holy presence of God Almighty in the third heaven because God is holy and righteous. And the scripture says that that place in heaven is a city, according to Revelation 22, verse 27, nothing uh, unclean or that could defile that place could enter in there. Therefore, since the Old Testament saints were justified. They had nevertheless not had their sins paid for. Are you listening? And therefore they could not go into the presence of God. So they went to a place of comfort and rest and quietness and were there waiting. Now let's pick it up back in Hebrews chapter 10 and let's put some things and hook some things together. This is a glorious thing. We're going to exalt with God's help. We're going to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood atonement, his finished payment that he made for the sins of all mankind. Look here in Hebrews chapter 10, read with me again, verse one, the book of Hebrews, by the way, one of the great themes in this, this blessed epistle is trying to convince the Hebrew and to show conclusively to a Jewish person that Jesus Christ, are you listening? Jesus Christ is better than the law. The old Testament law was given to the nation of Israel. It was given uh, through Moses, but the law could not make anyone perfect. And the law is not as good as Jesus Christ. The theme, when it comes to the work of Jesus Christ, the theme of the book of Hebrews is better. Jesus Christ is better. Everything he provides is better than the Old Testament law. And so here in verse 1 of Hebrews 10, look at it. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So the Old Testament sacrifices would provide forgiveness on a temporary basis. Remember, Exodus 34, God would forgive sins, which would by no means clear the guilty. And listen, these offerings that they did under the Mosaic law could not make them perfect. Otherwise, look at verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? Why, if there was an Old Testament sacrifice that could clear the Old Testament saints and redeem them from their sins, don't you think they would have offered it? But you see, they couldn't do it. So they had to keep coming back year after year. The Bible says, verse 2 of Hebrews 10, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Verse 4, look at it. For it is not possible. Did you get that? It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats, underline it, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Nobody's sins were taken away in the Old Testament. Nobody was cleared of their guilt. Therefore, the Old Testament saints died and were gathered to their people. Abraham was gathered into the heart of the earth, into Abraham's bosom, a place of rest and quietness and peace. And remember what Abraham said? 
He told that rich man that died and lift his eyes in hell, he could holler across that great gulf and they had a conversation according to Luke 16. And he said, remember in thy lifetime, thou receiveth thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. In other words, this old boy here down here in Abraham's bosom, he had a rough go of it when he was up there on the earth. You lived in comfort and fared sumptuously every day. But now thou art tormented. That's the unsaved men in hell. But he says, Lazarus is comforted. Oh, that place of rest and comfort for the Old Testament saints. And they went there because their sins were not taken away. Their sins were not cleared. But now stay with me. Drop down to verse 10 of Hebrews 10. Now let's talk about Jesus Christ. Remember, the Old Testament is known as the Old Testament because it was the time, it was the dispensation, it was the age before Jesus Christ had showed up. And when John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus Christ coming to the river Jordan one day there in John chapter 1, verse 29, a great verse. John saw the Lord, and what did he say? He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ came to take away sins. He was going to offer himself as the sacrifice. His divine blood, God's blood flowed. Jehovah's blood flowed through the veins of the precious Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. Perfect, sinless, pure, spotless blood in a pure, sinless, perfect man. Glory be to God. And this man came, the Lamb of God, to offer himself one sacrifice forever, which could then take away sins. His blood can take away sins. The blood of bulls and goats cannot. Now look at verse 10 of Hebrews 10. It says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 11, And every priest, that's talking not about Roman Catholic priests, but it's talking about the Old Testament priests under the Mosaic law. Every priest standeth. You see that? They standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices. Why did they stand daily? Why did they minister these sacrifices and offer these sacrifices daily? The same things over and over. The blood of bulls and goats and pigeons and all of these things. Why? It says that they had to continually do it. Because, verse 11 says, these sacrifices can never take away sins. We've already seen that now twice in this chapter. Oh, but look at verse 12. John introduced him as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And Hebrews says in verse 12 of chapter 10, But this man, ah yes, this man known as Jesus Christ, this man was sinless. The Bible says he was holy harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and thank God, he was nothing like me, and he was nothing like you. There is none righteous, no, not one. The general population of humanity, of Adam's race, are all sinners. We're sinners by birth. We're sinners by choice. We are sinners and open rebels against God. That's why the scripture declares that there is none righteous, no, not one. But ah, blessed be his wonderful name. There is a man by the name of Jesus Christ who came to this earth, born of a virgin, made of the Holy Ghost in the virgin womb of Mary, who was born and who lived a sinless, spotless life as the Lamb of God for 33 and a half years. And the scripture here in Hebrews 10, 12 says, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, you know why he had to offer just one? Because one will do the job. 
This man finished the work. This man paid for the sins of the world in one awful afternoon of suffering and dying and bleeding on that old rugged cross. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, notice what he did. He sat down. He doesn't have to stand daily. You know why? Because he finished the work. He cried out in John 19, 30, it is finished. And he sat down on the right hand of God. Hey, you know what that means? It means now that he uh, can free up those Old Testament saints that were waiting in quietness and rest in Abraham's bosom. I want you to turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 4. Get Ephesians 4. And first, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, we quoted this verse last week, and I'd ask you to look it up. This is called Bible study. This takes a little bit of work. Uh, I've noticed sometimes people say, well, I just don't understand the Bible. Part of the reason people don't understand the Bible is they're not willing to sit down and actually study. That Bible commands us. If you have a King James Bible, you still have the verse in 2 Timothy 2.15, which is a command. The command is this, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Did you catch that word in there, a workman? It takes work to study and come to understand the Bible. And you have to study with a humble heart as a saved person with the Holy Spirit living in your heart. You have to come to the Bible humbly and God will reveal to you what you need to know. And so here in Matthew chapter 12, look at, look at it with me, verse 38. The Bible says, Matthew 12, 38, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he says this, verse 40, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, he just told you plainly what was going to happen. When he gave up the ghost, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Out went his spirit. His body was taken down a few hours later by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They wrapped him up and give him an honorable burial and put him in a tomb. His body went into a tomb that no man had ever been laid in before. And they put him in there, and then the Roman soldiers came and sealed that tomb up. That's where Jesus Christ's body was at. He was in the tomb. But his soul, his soul was not left in hell, is what Peter said. And he says to us here, he says, I am going to descend. I'll be three days and three nights, quote, in the heart of the earth. You say, where's the heart of the earth? Right where it says, the heart of the earth, down in the center of this place. Now, last week, if you paid attention to the study, we found out that in the heart of the earth, there were two places. There was a place for the condemned, the damned, who went to hell, the unsaved, and they were tormented in flames. That's Luke 16. But we also saw how that when men died in the Old Testament, they went down into Abraham's bosom. The saved men did. Saved men, women, boys and girls went to Abraham's bosom before Jesus Christ, the time of Jesus Christ. Under the Old Testament law, they were gathered to their people. They went to Abraham's bosom and they were down there. We saw Samuel came up. We saw where Abraham could be found in the heart of the earth. Now they weren't tormented. They were in a place of peace and rest and quietness and comfort. But here we see where Jesus is going to go down into the heart of the earth. Well, what did he do? Well, now look at Ephesians chapter 4, and it'll start making sense. Ephesians chapter 4, look with me, if you will, in verse 
7. I'm sorry, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. Are you reading it with me? You need to see this. Remember, Jesus Christ offered one sacrifice for sins forever, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. All right, he goes to the heart of the earth. Why? Ephesians 4, 8, the Bible says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, okay, Jesus Christ, after he rose from the dead, left the Mount of Olives uh, some 40 days later, and he ascended back on high. We saw in Hebrews 10, 12, where after he had offered himself a sacrifice for sins forever, that he sat down on the right hand of God. So he ascended up on high, but look what it says. He saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Well, what's that captivity that he led captive? Oh, dear friend, it's the Old Testament saints. You know why? Because his blood cleared their guilt, redeemed them from their sins, and took their sins away. And listen, he went down there and he led them captive. He led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. Verse 9, Ephesians 4 says this, Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, just like he said he would do. The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Paul uh, recognizes that and he said he led captivity captive. When before he ascended, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And so listen, turn back to Hebrews, look at chapter 9. And we're going somewhere with this, just stay with me. Hebrews chapter 9, look at this. The Bible says about the blood of Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. It says, for this cause he, Jesus Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, watch it, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Do you know what you were just told? The blood of Jesus Christ redeemed the uh, Old Testament saints and cleared them and took their sins away. His blood re was the redemption, also for the redemption of the transgressions in the Old Testament. And so he went down and applied that blood to their account, made that payment, and he led captivity captive and took the Old Testament saints to heaven. Now you say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is that's the power of the blood of the Lamb of God. He covered the sins of the Old Testament saints and made it possible for them to enter into heaven. He went down and he led captivity captive. He went down to that place of comfort and rest and opened the doors and said, Boys, I'm here. It's time to go. John the Baptist, Samuel, Abraham, and all of those Old Testament saints that we read about that were gathered to this place called Abraham's bosom, that place was emptied out. They were held captive there until the blood of the Lamb could be shed that would actually take away sins. You see, the Old Testament sacrifices could never take away sins, so they weren't cleared and they weren't redeemed. But listen, the blood of Jesus Christ taketh away the sin of the world, including that world of Old Testament saints. Now turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we'll close out here. You know how, listen, 
on this side of the cross, after the resurrection, you can know where you're going when you die. Do you know how you can know? Because of what God did for you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, the good news is how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. In other words, his blood will pay for your sins and wash your sins away if you'll receive him as your Lord and Savior. But it doesn't just stop there. After he made the payment for our sins, that one final finished payment, he rose from the dead. Acts chapter 17 verse 31 says that God hath given assurance unto all men in that he raised him, Jesus Christ, from the dead. So here in Romans chapter 5, the Bible says for us on this side of the cross, therefore, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look down at verse 6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Amen. Verse 8, but God committed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, that's talking about us on this side of the resurrection, those of us who are living on uh, uh, this side of the resurrection, we are New Testament saints and we had no strength to save ourselves. But in due time, Christ came and he died for us. And it says here in Romans 5.10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Verse 11. Now this is going to make a lot of sense for what we've been looking at. It says, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now this is crucial. How many... Uh, sacrifices did Jesus Christ have to make to clear the Old Testament saints and to offer us eternal life and redemption through his blood? Just one. Hebrews 10 says this man offered himself once and he sat down because the work is all through and he cleared the Old Testament saints, went down into the heart of the earth and he emptied out Abraham's bosom and led captivity captive. And now today he offers eternal life as a free gift. And listen, he is received. His atonement is received. Notice that we rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.11, by whom we have now received the atonement. You know what's amazing? That's the only place the word atonement shows up in your New Testament. And by the way, you only have that word atonement there if you have a King James Bible. They change that word atonement in the New Bibles. But there's a great reason why the word atonement only shows up once in the New Testament. Because there's only one atonement that will clear you of your sins. Now, in the Old Testament, those sacrifices, they brought those. Those were atonements that they made. They made an atonement with those sacrifices they brought. But do you remember what Hebrews taught you? Those sacrifices could never take away sins. So they had to keep bringing them and making another atonement every year. Oh, but listen, once Jesus Christ has made the final, full, finished atonement for you, you don't have to make anything. Brother, all you've got to do is receive it. Hallelujah. What a blessing. Could I get a shout right there? Some of you listening to this in your car right now who just got that, you ought to pull off the side of the road and get out and shout just one good time. It'll do you good. Amen. It says here, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement. His atonement is the one final finished payment. It's a, it's not an atonement. It's the atonement because he is the lamb of God who made the atonement. And now we have nothing to bring. The old song says, nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross. I cling. 
We don't make an atonement. We receive his. Hallelujah. You know where that's found? You receive, how do you receive that atonement that he made? By receiving him as your Lord and Savior. John 1.12 says it this way. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Those of you who've never been born again, why don't you quit trying and simply bow the knee and receive the Lord Jesus Christ and rest in him. When you receive him, you'll receive the atonement, which is that one final sacrifice. And that's, that's the guarantee that God can present you faultless before his throne through that one sacrifice that not only cleared uh, 4,000 years of the Old Testament saints' sins, but will clear your sins today, once, finally, and forever. And because of that atonement, you can know where you're going when you die. The Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, the one who made that atonement. Those of you that believe on the name of the Son of God, 1 John 5, 13 says, You may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you know where you're going when you die? If you'll trust Jesus Christ, you'll know. You trust something else, you'll never know. May God help you to know where you're going and may you receive Christ and His atonement today.